0: hello jordan what's going on michael i hear you've got a big
1: podcast planned for us today oh man do i ever we got some real ideas we got some real questions we're on a, a strong weekly streak we haven't missed a weekly update up up upload in 2022 <laughs> whoa <laughs>
0: That, which just happened, just reminded me of a scene from the office where I forget exactly what happened. I just remember like Pam screwing something up and Dwight just goes, did you just have a stroke? Nice stroke, (laughs) Pam. That's what it felt
1: like. Upload, update. Upload, update. still got a little ghost uh, energy drink coursing through my veins after the push day I just hit. Man,
0: how was your work? Was your workout good?
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. It uh this week I've dropped volume down. It, I'm in Florida. Family's coming down here. More low key, more relaxing, but still a decent amount of work going on. We got the book launch in full force right now, ramping up, flooding the gates. And Oh, should uh, we put
0: the pre-order in the show notes? We'll put the pre-order for the book in the show notes. Eat it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Cool. We would we would yes, it's in the show notes. You know what to do. But I'm down here, and uh, my workouts have been high volume and high intensity. And as a result, I think there's, I think there's something that maybe I just haven't recognized before. But when you're training really hard, it reduces the amount of mental energy you have for the rest of the day, meaning work performance or ability to focus. And not just after any workout, but after doing you know, 25 hard sets in a lifting session that takes an hour and a half, two hours, like a real, real lift. Um, at least I have less mental capacity to be working later on in the day. And I just intuitively brought volume down yesterday. I just did three exercises, upper body pull today. I did more exercises, but intensity was still low, only one to two sets per exercise on an upper body push. And I have so much more energy to be working and like focused on doing things that uh it feels really good
0: you know it's funny like depending on the phase that i'm in in my own training and like what i i'm interested in i can really for for example if i'm really loving my training which you know we all go through phases of loving it and not loving it if i'm loving it i really like doing more than is necessary just because, like, I like being in the gym and I like lifting and I like getting the pop. Like, I, I enjoy that. Like, I, I enjoy doing more. So, I like being in there for 75, 90 minutes or something. Whereas, if I'm going through a phase where... I'm more focused on, on work or whatever it is, my workouts will all naturally decrease them to the minimum effective dose. And then that way I'm not super drained. Cause if there's no way I can do a hard workout for 90 minutes and then be really productive after that, even if I want to be like, even if I loved that workout, it's like you put in so much energy and thought and just like, you're just drained. Like it feels like you're just like a, like a applesauce after. Like you just can't <laughs> do anything. <laughs> yeah. For, and not necessarily for the entire day, but definitely for
1: an hour or two. Yeah. Yeah. What is that minimum effective dose for you?
0: Uh, I think it's changed over the years. I mean, the minimum effective dose used to just be like, I could do four to six exercises and really only three of them be like real intense and really like compound moves and I'd be done now that my work capacity has improved dramatically. Well, here's what I'll say. I think for me right now, my cardio is more important than my strength. And what I mean by that is like, I could probably never lift again a day in my life and I would still be stronger than the majority of the population. And I would, all the strength work that I've done will have reduced most of the risks that some people get from not being strong enough in their life. Right. So I, I could probably not strength train much if at all for the rest of my life and still be fine. I still do it because I enjoy it and I love it, but that's an interesting, that's, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, but that's an interest. Never again, strength
1: train for the rest of your life and still retain the benefits. Like when you're 70, honestly,
0: for, I think from, uh, cause for example, one of the, the major tests of strength that they'll do as, as people get older is like a grip strength test. Obviously, my grip strength and, and grip strength is actually a really good predictor that we can find, not not uh, causation, but correlational. We can see like really strong predictors in terms of grip strength and your likelihood of being able to live a long life. Uh, Peter Atia has spoken about this a fair amount, but um, even if I didn't lift again, which I'm not going to do, I still lift three to four times a week. But even if I didn't, I still think that my grip strength, even until seventy, would be way better than the vast majority of people. It's like the people that they're testing and saying, "Oh, this person, their strength was so low that like they wouldn't be able to, you know, stand up off the toilet, or they like they, their strength is so low that they're more likely to slip and fall." I think the base strength that I've built already would be enough to keep me above that average if I just stopped completely. And again, I'm not okay. stopping above above average. I got it. Yes, absolutely.
1: And, and with a minimum effective dose of strength training, you could probably keep yourself in the top. Like, I don't know if it's 1% or 5% of the population, easy, but, easy yeah.
0: yeah, especially with the minimum effective dose, which I'm, is, I'm doing way more than the minimum effective dose right now. Cause I love my training, but for me right now, the minimum effective dose would just be get my cardio in for the day. Like, and that could just be 30 minutes. That's just not, that's not difficult to do at all. Whereas minimum effective dose and strength training I guess it depends on what your goal is, but for strength, I think it could, pro- if, if you're just doing strength and no cardio, like you could probably do it in about the same time frame, in about 30 minutes for a minimum effective dose. Oh, um, probably even less, probably like 30 to 45 minutes twice
1: a week. Yeah. Like I, yeah, yeah. I think, like you said, it, it depends on the person, but three sets per body part per week and in, in
0: relatively intense sets, like, yeah, that's a, that's a solid maintenance volume. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. Two, two sessions a week, 30 to 45 minutes max. Like there's no reason to do more than 45 minutes per session is plenty for that. Um, is is, your focus on cardio
1: right now more about jujitsu or more about health or is it like 50, 50?
0: I'd say it's probably equal parts, both at this point. Um, just from the jujitsu perspective, it's insane how much my cardio has improved and how much like, it's so funny. I always thought that I just had genetically bad cardio, mm. which is like really funny, right? Like I always just was like, ah, oh, just genetically, like, cause no matter what, I was always super strong and I was always like much stronger than other people my weight, but my cardio is never good. And I was just like, oh, it's just, my, I, genetically I must have really bad cardio. And now that I've been working on my cardio so much, I'm like, oh no, I just didn't fucking work on it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like I just didn't put in the effort, right? It was like my whole life I've always been like, no, it's just genetically my cardio sucks. It was like. <laughs> No, it says I de- I never worked on it. How many people do you think feel that way about various things in their life? Everybody, in some way, like or like ninety percent of people. Yeah,
1: lean mass, being lean, being good or bad at insert reading, like being good or bad at anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah. have you have you spent like a number of hours a week for you know most weeks out of a year, probably for a, maybe a year or
0: two, actually doing that thing? Well, no. It's like, well, then how do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's so funny because I like one of my most popular posts ever was saying like, listen, it's not your genetics, it's your effort. Mm. And like, but I still fall into that trap myself, right? Whereas like, I just assumed it was my genetics with cardio. I was like, no, well, now that I'm doing an ungodly amount of cardio, it's like, well, okay, I've improved dramatically.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Also, Mike and I used to do our breath holds together. Alex Fiat has been programming breath holds for me. I hit a new record for how long I held my breath the other day.
1: You know what's so strange? I'm getting so competitive and like slightly angry right now. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't want it to be higher than mine. (laughs) And that's so weird because historically like you're not less competitive and you're more competitive, but I'm, I'm realizing that I'm competitive about strange, obscure things. (laughs) That's so true.
0: You're competitive about the weirdest stuff.
1: (laughs) Go ahead. Tell me. Two minutes, two seconds. Wow, that's yeah. amazing, crazy. That's right? uh, you know what? The, by the way, that's higher than mine. The second you told me that, I genuinely the only emotion I felt was happy for you. Thanks, bro. Genuinely, and I ex- and I and I'm dead serious. I expected to be pissed if it was higher than mine. Mine was a minute forty five seconds when I was like thirteen years old.
0: But wow, over two minutes is insane. Yeah, I, I was freaking out. It was it was crazy. It was really 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 crazy. So I'm stoked about it. And like when I first started, it was like just around like 110, I think. So it's improved like almost two X. That's an insane increase. Not over that large a, what, No, a few months. months. Yeah, four months or so.
1: Yeah. Crazy. And only one day a week of breath holds? Yeah, just one day a week. Crazy. All right. right. I might have to sign up for a breath hold program. (laughs) Any breath hold coaches out there, let me know. Seven days a week of breath holding. (laughs) That's really good. Wow. Good
0: for you. Yeah. What, uh, what else do you want to talk about today?
1: Oh, I got a list. Jordan, tell me what you think about the Epicurean lifestyle.
0: Oh, I'm a big fan of the Epicurean lifestyle, which I only know about because of you. When uh, you and I were in Florida writing the book a couple of years ago, which is crazy, that was a couple of years ago, and uh, you're like, man, this Epicurean lifestyle, this is it. Work in the morning, get all of our stuff done. Well, you're not a big drinker, but have some wine later in the day, relax, Would you have some wine as part of your Epicurean lifestyle? Only because I'm such a fan of the idea of the Epicurean lifestyle
1: that I would like sip a glass of wine in the afternoon just to partake in the Epicurean lifestyle. Love that. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) There's uh, no one can do real concentrated knowledge work, real deep work, real focused work for an entire day. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're doing. You can't sit down at six o'clock in the morning and for 16 hours straight, write an article for your website and be productive for that entire 16 hours. Like no one can do that. So I mean, you know, there've been periods of time where you can get away with more or less, depending on what else you're doing in life, but working for a chunk of the day, very hard, very focused, very deep, very uninterrupted. And then having intentional time off, intentional relaxation, intentional recovery, a period of time where you don't feel guilty about the fact that you're not working is a, is a really cool idea. And yeah, we were, you know, we went hard in the morning writing the book. And then in the afternoon, we had the pool and the hot tub. It was a nice day and just relaxing. It's uh, it's, it's an idea that's really attractive to me, especially as I think about getting older and just like a, a sustainable way to derive meaning from work and really enjoy it and have real consistency there, but also not pushing yourself so hard that you burn out or dislike it or whatever the case may be.
0: I feel like you've been doing that. I mean, you wake up super early. You wake up at like between five and six. Usually you're crushing emails. You get a lot of work done early in the morning. I mean, you already made a YouTube video and posted it recently. So you're making content like, (laughs) like you get your work done (laughs) early in the morning. And aside from the, like the anger recently that you had, I think last week, and then you worked at night, usually I think you're, you're done ish by the afternoon, right? That's true. That's true. I think maybe if we want to build on the optimal Epicurean
1: lifestyle, the afternoon would include like, I just picture some, some like philosopher 400 BC sitting with his friend, eating grapes and drinking wine and sitting by like the, you know, I don't know if it was a a pool and talking about the meaning of life in the afternoon and like seeing their kids running around and playing and, you know, petting the dog or whatever, they, like uh, just a very like relaxed afternoon mm. and, and working in the morning and then like scrolling TikTok in the afternoon with bad posture and like your neck cranked laying on the couch for an hour and a half. That doesn't, Not a feel as, no, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you want to like eliminate electronics in the afternoon and just like hang out family, friends, relax,
1: yeah, I I wouldn't say eliminate, I think that's but but reduce and uh yeah, sun being outside it's it's easier to do in certain uh climates obviously. You can't do that in Minnesota all the time though, you know. Minnesota summers are incredible, but that's correct. There's I, you know, I could go play some hockey in the afternoon, a little pond hockey in a little January afternoon. I don't know who I can get to play with me at 4 I p.m. Can on a Wednesday. I'll come play hockey with you. <laughs> you I love
0: You looked hockey. so excited when you said that. I know you love <laughs> hockey. <laughs> Have you been watching any playoff hockey? Honestly, no, I haven't. I, it's one of those things that I really want to get into. Like, I really want to start watching more hockey. I've, ha- I've said that in my head a number of times recently. Like I just want to start getting into that. The hard part for me is like, it's difficult for me to really get into professional sports outside of fighting stuff. Like, I don't know why it's really difficult for me. Like I love watching hockey. I love the skill of it, but like, it's difficult for me to like, to really get into team sports. I don't know why that is. Interesting. I've never, I've never been a you, big, like you never played team sports. I did. I played baseball and soccer to what age? I played baseball until my freshman year of high school and soccer until my sophomore year of high school. Oh, okay. And and then wrestling
1: individual sport was the bigger focus obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean I if look, if you don't want to then don't. You know. I do.
0: And I'm going to start getting into <laughs> but- <laughs> <the> hockey. <laughs> Big Bruins like- fan. Nice. Nice single player on the Bruins, but there's a big Bruins there's, fan. Th-
1: there's too many. Yeah, Boston guy. There's there's too many uh games in like the NHL, Major League Baseball, uh, basketball. There's too many games for, like I love Michael Jordan, but I never watch basketball, or neither did I ever watch basketball historically. I just like the idea and like like the athlete, but It's a massive time commitment. Like, if you want to have a team and follow the team, the reason the NFL is easier to follow is because there's only 16 games. Yeah. Now now there's 17 games, but it's like... Oh, they are 17 now? Yeah, they added a week. Oh, okay. Last year, I think. But it's a reasonable time commitment, right? It's a a 50-hour-a-year time commitment compared to a a 500-hour-a-year time commitment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, like, for football, your whole Sunday is taken up, like... If you want to go to the game and stuff, like it's, it's a, it's a long day. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's true. All right. What else do I have here?
1: Jordan, what do you think of this as an advanced weight loss strategy? So not to be used with beginners, having someone on a high calorie, high
0: activity regimen. Hmm. So basically asking, can you outrun your fork, right? The, the common phrase is that you can't, right? Yeah. Um, unpopular opinion is that you absolutely can. You can 100% outrun your fork. You can absolutely do enough cardio, even if you're eating in a caloric surplus, to put yourself in a deficit through activity. Um, it's not ideal for the vast majority of people, especially people who live regular lives. You know, you've got kids or you've got work, whatever it is, like if you can't spend like at least probably two hours a day doing cardio, then it's a really bad idea. Um, But for someone who is very advanced, or even we could take it from the perspective of let's say someone is an elite athlete in a more, um, more cardio based sport, so not baseball but I don't know, maybe they're a cyclist, right? And they're doing cycling for several hours a day. They would absolutely probably need to eat in a calorie surplus. And even though they're in a calorie surplus, they could still lose weight. Uh, if they're eating enough to like above their, their, uh, if they're eating more than like, they would try to think how to phrase it. Cause technically speaking, they wouldn't be in a calorie they're surplus. A deficit. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like it, they would, they would have to eat, a significant significant amount above their above their basal metabolic rate in order to like you know what i mean yeah the if
1: they were doing a normal amount of activity they would be gaining weight So they would be in a surplus, but with the fact that we've ramped up exercise so aggressively has actually like on those days, put them in a deficit. Even though if you look at their statistics, it's like, oh, this person's maintenance is 3000 calories and we have them eating 4,200 calories, but they're doing so much activity that they're actually burning 4,700 calories per day.
0: Yeah. You just explained that way better than I did. So yeah, that's exactly right. It's, uh, it's really, it's. It's a cool idea for
1: the sliver of the population who want to do it and who want to do it and can do it. Mm, Yeah. Right. Like you just mentioned, it's not convenient for someone who doesn't enjoy exercise. It's not convenient for someone who is busy with work and kids and literally can't commit that many hours to exercise. But for people who can and want to, it's a cool idea because getting to eat that much makes life more enjoyable. Yeah. And uh, and all of that exercise is assuming you have the proper mindset with it, right? Like, you know, 15 or 16 year old you, for example, or someone who would be doing the cardio potentially for the wrong reasons mentally compared to someone who knows that like is comfortable with who they are in a good place and genuinely wants the exercise and
0: wants the health benefits from the exercise. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Doing it as like a punishment or as like a way to, to earn more food. So that like the literally the entire time you're doing cardio, all you're thinking about is what you're going to binge on is a really bad idea. But if you're doing it from a performance perspective, and or health perspective, and or enjoyment perspective, and just as a byproduct, you can then eat more like it's fantastic. Like, and not to mention, this is a strategy that we often use with women who are very small and petite, uh, in which like, taking their calories lower is like it's you can't take like if it's a super small woman 1200 calories like I'm not taking her to 1100 right so maybe we'll increase their activity to burn more calories which is ex- literally it's the exact same concept in a different situation where rather than taking their actual calorie intake lower we will increase their their calorie output so they can eat more and it's, it's the same exact concept it's just in a different situation
1: yeah what made me think of that was Last night, I had these delicious fish tacos with a, like a whole serving and a half of really good French fries and these like kind of club cracker crisp chips that are higher fat. They're, they're basically chips. They're not crackers because of the fat to carb ratio and they're delicious and uh, more than I would normally eat at night. And this morning, and I have I have a, a hypothesis about this because I've noticed this before. This morning, I was able to consume more caffeine, stay more focused, not get hungry until later in the day and was able to do computer work for a longer amount of time. Now there could be other factors getting sun yesterday when I haven't been recently, whatever it might be. But I hypothesize that my brain glycogen stores when eating in a surplus and specifically getting a solid amount of carbs are higher the next morning leading to a greater ability to focus than if i'm in a slight deficit the day before stop eating at 7 p.m wake up at 6 a.m have coffee drink some water and my brain glycogen is more depleted and by the way i have no idea if like like how relevant brain glycogen carb storage in the brain would, which tops off at about like 50 grams per person it's it's a very we have blood carb storage, muscle carb storage, brain carb storage, liver carb storage, and uh, muscle is the highest by far. Brain glycogen is the second, I believe. Um, But I don't know how correlated that actually is with ability to concentrate and focus. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so so I may be playing with Remember the carb backloading strategy where you would like (laughs) eat more carbs at night for training performance the next morning, which actually has, has some, uh, you're making a face, but I, I think it has some merit to it. I, from an enjoyment perspective, meaning like the classic Martin Birkin, like get shit done during the day and then eat more later on. Um, as well as, uh, just having, being able to enjoy a bigger, higher calorie dinner, uh, is, is appealing especially if my sample size continues of times where I feel really good
0: and get really good work done in the morning. Yeah. I just remember car backloading that was huge at the gym that I worked at at a college and they <laughs> so misrepresented what what it was actually supposed to be and just turned it into this massive binge eating fest <laughs> with like I just remember these people just like coaches and people at the gym just being like, yeah, car backloading and just like binging on Oreos and Twinkies and all this stuff. And then they would fast for a super long time. And it was, just, it was literally watching binge eating disorder be created right in front of my eyes. Was like, this is absolutely <laughs> terrible. And they were like promoting it with the the clients of the gym doing the same thing. It was, it was really bad. Yeah. Not, that's not what
1: it is. I actually, I don't know the technical definition, nor did I follow the program, nor was I even like because that was pre-2010, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, wait. I, that's when it came out. Yeah. Around 2010. I was yeah. just under the impression that it, its actual intention was, say, you're going to have 300 grams of carbs in a day. Rather than having 100 at breakfast, 100 at lunch, 100 at dinner, you'd have 50 at breakfast, 50 at lunch, 200 at dinner. Mm-hmm. Thereby increasing your uh, muscle glycogen storage the following morning, supposedly. Yeah, could be. Well, I want to hear how it goes for you. I mean, you've, you've been this high carb, high fiber guy recently. So I thought maybe you'd have some, uh, some interesting
0: insights or input or. Uh... You know, it's funny. My concentration improves with lower carbs. Like when I don't eat carbohydrates, my concentration is significantly better, but it's not worth it to me. To reduce my carbs in order to concentrate better so i still eat super high carb but like like i i've it it's so funny the best concentration i've ever had in my entire life is when i did the carnivore diet for my that youtube video like that was by and i spoke about it i was like listen this has been the worst experience from a diarrhea perspective from like a blood pressure perspective from a performance in the gym perspective like every aspect of my life was worse when i did that except my concentration was unbelievable. And like, there's a lot of documented cases of that for people who go very low carb for like their, especially if they have ADD or something along those lines where it's been shown that you can actually help improve concentration dramatically with that type of a diet. But when I'm, when I'm weighing out the pros and cons, I'm like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, it is not worth it for me to re- like eliminate all of these foods just so I can concentrate a little bit better or even a lot better, just not worth it. Not to mention you have
1: found an avenue where the type of work you do, you enjoy more than the average person, meaning you're not in a position where you need to sit down at a desk for eight consecutive hours and do work that you don't want to do that you really need to hyper concentrate on. God, thank God. I would be so fucked if I had to do that. Even a few hours a day, like you're, you're such a conversationalist that- Can you imagine swapping every podcast you've ever done with like, I don't know, some, or even just like a spreadsheets, I was going to say some like tedious, I don't know, research task that you were given or some, uh, something that wasn't even communication based, but was just like, yeah, spreadsheets. We'll call it
0: spreadsheets. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just put all these into a spreadsheet. Oh my God. Dude. Thank you. What a blessing. I actually agree with you
1: anecdotally on the low carb, like that Burkhan fast in the morning, have coffee. I have better concentration than if I eat breakfast and try to work. Absolutely. But that's why I wonder if having more carb storage from the night before. So it's not like I'm getting the immediate effect of morning carbs. It's
0: what I had that, I don't know. And you're not having, I think one of the major things is you're not having a blood sugar spike. Mm -hmm. So your blood sugar isn't spiking and dipping, which can, I think can help with concentration. So you have that storage of, of, uh, of glycogen from the night before. So you're not depleted, but you also don't have the blood sugar spikes and dips, which I think can help you concentrate and keep a more level energy. That I think you hit the nail on the head so succinctly. I'd like to clip that and
1: play it for myself every morning. (laughs) I,
0: I really think that's it. It's funny. That's been one of the things about like the type of carbohydrates I've been eating, like the, you know, a lot of the whole grains, a lot of higher fiber stuff. I've just noticed more sustained energy as opposed to, you know, the whole, if it fits your macros crowd, it's just like eat whatever you want. Da, 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 da. It's like when I really fell into that world my energy was all over the place. Now I'd like get really hyped up. And then I would get, I would crash from like, whatever, just like my blood sugar was all over the place. Now it's, it's much more even keeled throughout the day. And I still have treats and I enjoy them, but not as much as the IFYM crowd. It's just like, yeah, eat whatever you want. Like the, the quality doesn't matter ever. It's, it's a really shitty idea. Yeah. Or
1: the hucksters in that crowd who are actually eating 90% Or 80%. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Healthy, like unprocessed foods, and then only posting the crap. Yeah, exactly. Great for marketing. Great, phenomenal marketing. Not necessarily (laughs) optimal. Great, phenomenal, skeezy marketing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Effective, effective, uh, scummy marketing. Okay. Let's talk business. We got the business question of the day. Let's do it. What is it? Do I need an email list for my business? Why or why not? It's a good question.
0: Yeah. Do you want to start off with this one?
1: I mean, it's, I was just going to say, it's a great question, especially in an era where what people see is flash and sizzle and virality and followers Mm. and likes and engagement and so much public facing on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter, on Facebook, on all social media platforms. uh, Whereas the benefits of an email list go unnoticed to basically anyone who doesn't have an email list. So I completely understand the question, especially in this day and age.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Um, there's a lot to talk about here. I'll start by saying this rather than, than discussing, um, Theory. I'm just going to give a practical example. I just ran a launch for the Inner Circle. Every, every year I do like a 30% off right around my birthday and Mother's Day. And the vast majority of sales, actually, you know what? I'll read you the analytics right now. The vast majority of sales were made through my email list, not from Instagram, not from um, mm-hmm. text, not from not, I, text did really well, but I consider text the same thing. Um, even though it's obviously not, it's not text and email are different. I still consider text the same. It, it's not social media text is it's your list. You have complete access to them. And that's the main difference between texting and, um, or, or text slash email and social media is text slash email. You have access to them anytime. I can send a text to any number on my list, to all the numbers on my list. any time a day, I could send an email to any, to all my emails any time a day. And I know they're going to get it they open up their inbox, it's going to be there. I can make a post on social media, a story, whatever, and not everyone's going to see it at all. Like for any number of reasons, whether it's the algorithm, whether who who knows, there could be any number of things. But I regularly get people being like, I haven't seen your post come up on my feed in months. Like, I don't know what's going on. Or like, I tried searching your name, but I can't find you in the search bar, whatever it is. Like a lot of people just won't see your stuff. But when you have a text or an email list, you have access to them always. It's always going to be in their inbox. Um, Yeah. To use your
1: Analogy when you only build your business on social media, you build your house on someone else's lawn.
0: Correct, exactly. Yep. And you don't want to build your house on someone else's lawn, you want to own your house on your lawn. And if you have like rental properties on other people's lawns, like, cool, that's fine. Um, that's sort of what Instagram is, and YouTube, and Twitter, and Facebook. These are like sort of rental properties that are like on other people's lawns, like, you're renting it out, you're, you're renting it out, you're um, you're a tenant but you're not the owner. Like you can't just knock the house down or whatever. Like, and if the owner decides, you know what? Like I want to, I want to uh, live here. You have to leave. I'm not renewing your lease. Then you have to get out, right? So like, that's how it works. Whereas your email list is your list. Your text list, it's your list. You can do whatever you want with it at any point in time. Um, So yeah, but so I'm looking at my email list right now. So this sent, actually, I'm really stoked about this. Um, This sent to... About eighty four thousand people. It has a forty. It has a fifty seven point three percent open rate, which is wow. crazy high. Wow! Like a cr- so just for everyone, so everyone understands. Um, it might actually be really cool to break down this email. But um, in the fitness industry, an open rate of twenty to thirty percent is very good. If you're below twenty percent you've got some real issues with your email list. Maybe like your, your subject lines are shit. Your emails are shit. There could be any number of things going on. Um, but at least 20 and up to 30 is like a v- industry standard of good. Most people are under 20. Now the majority of my emails fall between um, let me look at my percents. They fall between. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. They're, they're usually between 28 to 34%. Um, the, What's important to keep in mind, though, is I don't email very often. If I was emailing several times a week, it probably would drop to about like twenty to thirty percent on average, so close to twenty-five percent. It has never dipped below twenty percent ever. Um, but because I email only several times a year now, my open rates are higher because like it's just not as often. So this one had a fifty-seven percent open rate, and I'm going to tell you it had a fifty-seven point three percent open rate a 2.7% click rate. So that means that 47.9 thousand people opened it and 2.2,000 people clicked on the link in there. Um, now, what's re- there's a lot that's interesting about this. A lot of the people who are still using this sale and, and joining the inner circle with this sale, they are they're opening the email multiple times and they just signed up like today, for example. So there's still new sales coming in, even though I sent this email two days ago. No one is going to my Instagram story from a couple of days ago and still signing up because the Instagram story is gone. Even if I made the post on my Instagram feed, they would have seen it once and then left. They might not have even read the whole Instagram post. People are way more likely to read an email than they are an Instagram post for any number of reasons, but not least of which on an email, that's the only thing on their screen. That's all they're looking at. On Instagram, they're deliberately looking for the next, the next, the next, the next, the next thing. They don't have as much attention span. <clears throat> and that's by design on that platform. The email design is to read the whole thing. So they're more likely to read it and click it and maybe save it for later and go back to it. So this email, even though I sent it a couple of days ago, is still bringing in sales for me today. Not to mention almost everyone
1: who is subscribed to your email list saw that email, whether they opened it or not. Mm-hmm. It, it showed up in almost every single person's face, whereas probably less than half, I don't know, d- not everyone saw the Instagram post. If you posted it on Facebook, a very small percentage of the people who like your Facebook business
0: page saw it on Facebook. Correct. Exactly. Um, now, I will say part of the genius of this email was the, sub- was the, the subject line. Um, so, Mike, did you see this email? I did. I, d- I don't remember the subject line. Okay. So this is just something I've learned from years of, of writing emails and copywriting, but also this is just human psychology. This is basic human behavior. Before I tell you what the subject line was, I'm sure many of you might've seen it, but I want my emails to be as the, basically I want them to be as though they're coming from a friend. I don't want my emails to seem as though they're coming from a company. A lot of people, when they have a business, they'll put like their logo in their emails and they'll like try and make it look really fancy and different um, writing styles. Like I hate that. I want my emails to look like it's just from a coming from a friend, a normal blank white backspace, regular black font, nothing crazy. Like it should be like it's coming from a friend because it's if they see it with like a, a company's logo and it looks very different, they're immediately putting up a defense. Always, it's like, all right, well, this is a company, this is a sale, this isn't a friend of mine. So I want it to look like it's coming from a friend. Uh, so that's why there's nothing fancy in it. the The subject line is not something that looks like it's coming from a company. Like it's not like flash sale. I don't say that. Like I'm not doing flash sale or any of that nonsense because that's a friend would never email you that with a subject line mm. or a friend would never text you that like flash sale. They'd be like, Hey bro, like new sale. Like, Hey hey bro, like you can get 30% off, whatever it is. So my subject line for this email, it was literally just thank you with their first name. So there's a, when you have an email list, you have the ability to put their first name in. So there's like a code that you can use that. Sh- so when they see it, it says like, let's say your first name is Mike. You see the email, it says, thank you, Mike. So that, so the subject line is literally like, thank you. And that's it. And the reason I started doing that, I actually found there's two really great subject lines that get ridiculous open rates. Number one is thank you. And the other one is I'm sorry. And Mike, you know what I was going to say that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So so they're both great. You have to be very careful and sparing with how much you use them. Because if you say thank you every fucking time, or I'm sorry every time, they're going to understand like that's what you're trying to do. But I realized that if someone says thank you to me, I want to know why they're saying thank you. If someone says I'm sorry, I want to know why they're saying I'm sorry. So I'm going to open that email and and go from there. So it's so funny. It's it's such a simple, easy subject line to use. It's fun. the the subject line I used before before that. So I have thank you. The subject line I sent I used in the previous email was long time no talk. Like that was my previous subject line. Um, another subject line I recently used it was literally just coffee, coffee, coffee. I put that in the subject line. Um, Another one was, "Do you want to try this new workout?" Um, another subject line was, "Relax, have fun." It's just, it's these simple, easy things that you would probably use with your friend. So that's what I try and do. And uh, and I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of the actual email, but it. As long as you understand that even with my audience size and engagement on social media, the vast majority of these sales came from my email. It's so, so, so important to understand that your email list is essential. There are many people who say email is more important than social media, and there are other people who say social media is more important than email. As with everything, it's, it's more of a gray area. They, are, they both operate and work better when you do them both than either one alone. Hmm. Transaction
1: versus branding. It's hard to build a brand, harder to build a brand via email unless you're like a real elite writer. It's easier to build brand and goodwill on social media, but sales and transactions happen in email. Give us the, what percentage of the total sales happened on email plus text?
0: Uh, I don't know the total number of percent, but I mean, so the texting list that I have, I don't have my, the phone with the texting list on me, but I have about 27,000 people on that list. Mm-hmm. So I have the 27,000 there and then I had like the 84,000 on email. Just the overwhelming majority came from those two things. It's just yeah. like without real. question. There, there there were some sales on social media, but it's but that's I mean like 80
1: 84 plus 27 we're talking like a little over a 100,000 compared to 800k. Correct. And the yeah. majority came from the smaller audience is nuts.
0: That's actually a really good point because on my Instagram story, I got about 120,000 views on that specific story with a link to my, my sale. So 120,000 people saw that, but. We know only about 50% of the email subscribers saw that. So instead of it being 84,000, it was, it was about 40,000. And I don't know how many, what percentage of the 27,000 text subscribers, but even if all of them did, which they didn't, it's still way fewer people seeing that message via email and text, but a higher percentage actual converting to a, to a sale. So 100,000 people seeing your Instagram story isn't anywhere near as powerful as 40,000 people seeing your email which is like, if that doesn't encourage you to get your email list, like, and you don't have to have those numbers. It's a a thousand people seeing your Instagram story is not as powerful as 500 people getting your email. It's, it's super, super important to realize that so that you, and and this is just talking about sales. It's not even talking about uh, the safety and security of your business, making sure like, God forbid, if your account gets shut down, you still have access to people, you can still contact them. But I mean, from a, a, a actual sales perspective and, and and making more money and building your business. An email list is is I would say if I had to choose between one and the or the other. I can't do actually I can't I was gonna I was gonna try and say it but I I used to go with email and then I went social media and now I do both and both are better than either alone so just make sure you have both it's sort of like if your client said. Should I do cardio or weightlifting? It's like, well, you should do a little bit of fucking both. Like, that's why I put it in your program. You should make sure you're getting your steps and you should make sure you're lifting weights. Like, don't just do one.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, we could talk about email list for three straight hours. We did do a podcast with Pat Flynn where we went in depth on email list. If you want to dig back in the archives and find that one, it was at least a year ago. Um, I think it
0: was two years ago now because I'm pretty sure I was in Boston the beginning of COVID when I did that, when we mm, did that. But
1: yeah, I bet it was about that? two years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Yep.
0: Great episode.
1: Weekly uploads.
0: Is that it? Are we done?
1: That's it. That's it. I got a real email coming out soon. You're going to like that subject line.
0: Oh, wow. What subject line are you going to use? Thank you. I'm much. sorry. No, neither. I bet neither. you're going to use them. Sorry. Nope. It's a new one. Did you, you didn't email your list when you published your YouTube video. Did you? I did not. Why, why is that?
1: Uh, because I just talked about myself for 27 straight minutes, and I'm not going to bother people on email with that. People who want to find it are going to find it. They're subscribed to YouTube. They, they saw it. Um, I don't need to bother someone who hasn't heard from me in a year and a half, doesn't listen to the podcast, is just on the email list and be like, hey, here's a 27-minute video about why I haven't been making content. They're like, I don't care. I didn't even notice you weren't making content. That wasn't the person I'm trying to reach. When I'm going to cold hit these people who I haven't, spoken to or interacted with in years, they're going to get something beneficial and valuable. It's not just going to be a, you know, a pretty legit whiteboard video, if you ask me, but it was just about myself. It wasn't of benefit to, to most. There was business education in there, actually, like through the way that you just spoke about what happened with your sale was talking about something you did, but was educational for someone with that mindset. But, you know, Johnny bag of donuts who just wants to add a little lean mass and like see his abs in the summer. He doesn't care that I
0: didn't make content. So that's why I didn't email my list. So, but you would recommend people, well, let's let's talk about this for a couple minutes. When do you recommend people email their list with like, if they're just starting to build their list or let's say they already have lists, like how often, or like, when should they, should they, if they put out content, like, should they email their, their list, their content? Like, what do you think? You really want to go in depth and, and go over time. That's an interesting
1: J move by you here, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll bite. Uh, I would, when it, okay. So there's so ma- there's so many places we can go with this. When you're building your email list initially, you want to spend the majority of your time not making specific content for your email list. By the way, this is something we go super in depth on, on the email list essentials course, which I believe is course number six in the mentorship, but just a, just a sneak taste,
0: like try to summarize a part of it. You don't want to spend... course number five. Course number six is how to become a better writer. I've got it up on my thing right now. Okay. All right.
1: That was... It's like I did some obscure math problem and I was like 1,742. You're like, no! 1,743. Actually.
0: It felt very Dwight.
1: I don't don't even watch that show, but it felt very
0: Dwight.
1: You when you're initially building your email list because you're not going to spend a lot of time making specific content for people on your email list because the the number of people who can see an email is basically capped at the number of people subscribe maybe they forward it to a handful of friends if it's really good the number of people who can see a video that you make on TikTok or on Facebook or wherever Instagram reel can really pop you can reach an audience 10x 100x your current audience with a really good video and uh, and and some luck obviously and like all the stars aligning so You're going to spend the majority of your time making long form website article, SEOable, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, places where more people can see it. Uh, Once your email list gets to a certain point, usually around three ish thousand is kind of our general rule, but you can start to transition to spend more time making content specific for your email list. That being said, you're not going to wait until you have 3000 people to email your list ever. You're going to email from time to time one of the main things you're going to be using your email list for during that time is content distribution. So when you make a YouTube video, when you, make, when you make some piece of content, emailing your list to let them know you made that content to boost the number of people who see that content. I would only use my email list for content distribution when it was either A, really, really good content, or B, has potential for virality. So if I make an infographic about 11, exercise, 11 foods that are high in protein but low in calorie, mm-hmm. actually, you know, if it's, 20, that content idea. If, it's, if it's 2017, I might actually email my list with that. If I'm, if I'm uploading on Instagram, uh, I don't know, a picture, of a video of me, I don't know, just an average piece <laughs> of Instagram content, <laughs> I'm not going to blast my list because then you're just pure, you know, it's basically a right hook when you're emailing your list for distribution. Go watch this. Go look at this. Go comment on this. But if it has potential for short-term virality, aka uh, why fitness matters video, like a, a an emotional Facebook video where where my call to action in the video is a share, and I think it has an opportunity to pop, I'm going to email both of my lists. With that, if it is a really good long form article that I spent 36 hours working on in total and, and I want as many eyeballs on it as possible and as much time on page as possible early on, I'm going to email my list with that. If it's a YouTube video that I put a lot of time and effort into and I think could pop and get like a lot of early views and a lot of watch time and thereby also lead to better ranking SEOing for certain terms. I'm going to email my list to sending them to that YouTube video. But for for a random tweet, for a random Instagram post, for a random TikTok video that I make for a random reel, I'm not going to email my list asking them to go watch that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. If you're doing like a 15-second dancing TikTok Instagram reel where you're pointing at the words as they come up and you send that to your email list. That's fucking stupid. You don't want to send them a a video of you dancing and pointing to words or like that's stupid. But if you have a real piece of content that you put a lot of time and effort into, what could actually be good is let's say you make this infographic like that 10 foods that are high in protein, low in calories, you make that infographic and then you send that infographic to your email list. And then you sort of write a mini article in your email for your email list, you could do that if, and this is the big question here is if your email list is big enough, because now the question is, is your time better spent writing that email to your email list and then having that content disappear forever? Or what if instead of writing that private email to your list, you wrote it on your website and you made this whole article about 10 foods, like 10 high calorie, high protein, low calorie foods, and then you send a link with that article to your email. It's like, Hey, I just put a lot of time and effort into this article, giving you some high protein, low calorie food options. The first one is this, the rest of the, not the other nine are like in this article, go check it out. That's a really good idea for distribution. Cause like you just said, you put a lot of time and effort into it. But if you're just making like a, a ridiculous reel for even like my reels that I've been doing recently, the funny ones, I'm not sending those to my list. Like they're not educational enough. They're not good enough. They're not an enough effort to really make it worthwhile. If I spend like, if if I will do it with a podcast, like an hour long podcast that I think is really important, like a blood pressure podcast or whatever, absolutely. I'll send that, but not something that you just post for 30 seconds on Instagram or TikTok. That's a stupid idea. But, and the other thing to bring up is if your email list and I'm going to say a number 3000 and the reason I'm saying it so quickly is this is sort of the number that Mike and I came up with. And, and we talk about a lot. If your email list is less than 3000 people, then you should not be sending them dedicated emails that are taking you a ton of time to write with, with specialized content, just for your list. If your email list is greater than 3000 people, you can start sending just dedicated content just for them. But even then the majority of your content should be, as Mike calls it, public facing. And then from there, like s- bits of content more dedicated just for your email list that no one can see. But the majority of what you do should be public facing. And if it's good enough, send it to your email list to, to help boost it and to help make sure the people on the email list are seeing that content. I love it. Yeah. Great answer. Good business question of the day. Good discussion.
1: Thank you very much for listening.
0: Our book's on pre-order. Link Ooh. in the show notes if you want. Yeah. A little right hook right there our publishers are, are on us. We, we promised our publisher that we would start pushing the book uh, several days ago and we didn't. So uh, now we're, we're doing it now. So if you'd like to support us by the book, great. Um, I think you'll like the book too.
1: It's a really good book. We put a lot of time and effort into it and we're very confident with what's in
0: there. It's- there's some funny, there's some, some real one-liners in there that I think will be good. The dedication I think is great. Yeah. That dedication's hilarious. I, I didn't know if they were going to approve that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, dedication's good. But like I think your, cl- yeah. your clients will like it. If your clients struggle with, you know, their relationship with food and fitness, it, you're, I think it might be a good gift for your clients, to be honest.
1: A hundred percent agree.
0: So if you own a gym and you want to buy a ton of books and sell them at your gym, that'd be cool. That'd be awesome for us as well. Yeah. So yeah, we're just, we're, this is us doing a little push, a little push for it, or you could join the mentorship and that'd be honestly like, frankly, probably better, but (laughs) (laughs) like either way, we, uh, we appreciate you have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you next week.
1: See you next week.